a birth certificate identifies me as someone who was uh, born into the Bagley family a long time ago. I won't say how long. A social security card identifies me as someone who is uh, gainfully employed and is a taxpayer here in the United States. A driver's license identifies me as someone who is legally able to drive on the highways and byways of America. A passport is a document that identifies me as a world traveler from Idaho in the United States. You probably noticed if you were just now listening, and I know you were, that I used the word identifies four times, one with each of those pieces of identification, four forms of ID. Identification is an important word, and the reason it's important is because Our focus of our attention this morning in this series on fervently asked questions is this question, this two-part question that someone from our congregation, our church family, wrote. How does the idea of baptism fit in with the Christian life? What purpose does it serve? And the answer, in short, is that baptism is a means of identifying Myself as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's a way to publicly show that I belong to Jesus, that He has transformed my life, that I'm now part of the family of God by faith. It's a visual way to demonstrate that I truly am a believer in Jesus Christ who has saved me from my sin. We're going to look today at two examples of water baptism in the book of Acts. So open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I want to give you, first of all, the teaching that's found here and in other passages of the New Testament on the subject of baptism. This won't be all-inclusive, but more of a summary. And then from there, we'll talk about the significance of baptism and, and about the picture it presents. We'll talk about some of the confusion that surrounds baptism. And then my prayer, as I just prayed a moment ago, is that we will then respond in a way that honors God. Acts chapter 16 is a wonderful chapter. It records for us some of the details of the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. Paul and his friend Dr. Luke set out on this journey. Along the way, they took Silas with them. And in the town of Lystra, they picked up a young man named Timothy. And he joined in the missionary endeavor. The Holy Spirit guided them very specifically to a city in Macedonia called Philippi. There they went down to the riverside to gather with others to pray. And while there, they met a woman named Lydia. She was a businesswoman. Her business was to sell fabric, particularly fabric dyed the color of purple. She responded to the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves. Not only did she respond, but her entire family. And after the family responded to faith in Jesus Christ, they got baptized. And then they invited Paul and the others to stay in Lydia's home for a time. On another occasion, while at her home, they went back out to the river to the place of prayer And they encountered a young slave girl who was demon-possessed. And Paul cast the demon out of her. 
As a result of that miracle, the owners of this girl, who was their slave, dragged Paul and Silas before the authorities. They lied about what Paul and Silas had done. And the authorities threw these men into prison. These two godly missionaries sang praises to God instead of complaining about their situation. And in the midst of that singing and praising, God worked another miracle. An earthquake occurred and the prison doors were flung wide open. The jailer, realizing that he could lose both his job and his life if these men were to escape, came running into the cell where Paul and Silas were and all the other inmates were still there. No one left. Amazing. And he said to Paul and Silas, What must I do to be saved? He wanted to be right with God. Their singing and praising and praying, I'm sure, impacted his life. Paul shared the simplicity of the Gospel with him. Look at verse 31 of Acts chapter 16. A wonderful verse about the simplicity of the Gospel. They said to this jailer, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. And this jailer, we don't know his name, but this jailer and his entire family gave their hearts to Jesus and they got baptized. The jailer had Paul stay in his home, which probably was connected right to the prison, the jail, had him stay in his home and talk more about God. Now go back with me to verse 11 just for a second. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we, that's Luke, Paul, Timothy, Silas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. So while Paul was there, he had opportunity again and again and again to share the gospel. And this businesswoman trusted Jesus. And she got baptized in water. This jailer trusted Jesus and got baptized in water. These are just two of the many passages in the New Testament that deal with baptism. In fact, there are approximately 65 New Testament references to the practice of baptism in one form or another. Among those, 20, um, among those 65 references, 25 of them have to do with a baptism of repentance that was preached by a man we know as John the Baptist. He was sent ahead of Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. Sometimes we call him, instead of John the Baptist, John the Forerunner. He was sent to prepare the hearts of people to receive the Messiah. And he was very effective at that. And soldiers and sailors and others would come to him and say, what, what do we need to do to get right with God? To be ready to receive Jesus as the Messiah. And he would tell them. And included in what he told them is, you need to be baptized to repent of your sins. Tax collectors many others would come to him. By the way, his name is John. We call him John the Baptist, but if they'd had birth certificates back then, it would not have said John T. Baptist. Okay? <laughs> Last names were not invented by anyone. Um, they developed as population grew. Uh, when the number of people in a tribe or a town or a city was small, 
You might have one Samuel or one uh, Richard or Robert. But as things grew, you had more Samuels, and so you had to have a way to identify them. So Samuel, son of John, became Samuel Johnson. Robert, son of Richard, became Robert Richardson, and so on. Sometimes people were identified by the work that they did, i.e. John the Baptizer. So some of those last names stuck. Michael Smith might have been a blacksmith. Somebody with the last name of Diamond might have been a jeweler. My family name, Bagley, came from the makers of burlap bags in England a long, long time ago. But no one calls me Bill T. Bagmaker. I do use bags as part of my email address. But 25 of those references refer to John's baptism under repentance. Twelve other texts speak about John by name and describe him as the baptizer of repentant people who were waiting for the Messiah. Listen for just a moment to Matthew 3, the opening six verses. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Sounds appetizing, doesn't it? Well, at least the honey part. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So men and women were getting right with God and were identifying themselves as repentant people through baptism. We also read in Matthew chapter 3 about Jesus being baptized by John in the Jordan. John's baptism identified mostly Jewish people as truly repentant people whom John had pointed in the direction of the Messiah. Go see Him. He's the one who will baptize you with the Spirit. When Jesus came to be baptized, His own baptism in water was, in His own words, to fulfill all righteousness. I take that to mean that Jesus wanted to do this to identify Himself as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, as the Lamb of God who would wash away the sins of the world, not by water, but by His shed blood. We also read in the teachings of Jesus about speaking to his disciples concerning a baptism of trouble and trial. Jesus was prepared to identify with lost sinners by going through all that would lead to his death on the cross. Difficult situations, and yet he went there joyfully, didn't he, to the cross? Joyfully, who for the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12 verse 4 says, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. But he did tell his disciples this in Mark 10 verses 38 and 39. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you were asking. They were wanting to know, can we sit next to you in your kingdom? He said, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? He's talking there about the suffering he would have to go through. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to identify through suffering with what I'm going to experience? And they said, we are able. 
That's a big statement, isn't it? And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. Yes, the disciples had to go through some really tough things as followers of Jesus, leading up to and just after His death, burial, and resurrection. The New Testament also contains a great deal of teaching about spirit baptism. Baptism in the Spirit. I believe my understanding of Scripture is that that baptism occurs the moment we trust Jesus as Savior. The Holy Spirit identifies us. It's an act that He does, not that we do. He identifies us with all other Christians who've been part of the body of Christ, the family of God, since the church began in Acts chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 is just one of at least nine passages some of them extended, that refer to the baptism of the Spirit. Here's what it says. For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body. Every Christian, not a select few. Baptism of the Spirit doesn't occur sometime after you're saved and give you all these special abilities that nobody else has. All Christians have been baptized by the Spirit. All were baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and were all made to drink of one spirit. One final text where the word baptized is used is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2. It says, speaking of the people of Israel, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. For the people of Israel, being freed from slavery in Egypt, there was an identification with Moses as their leader. He was the one who would take them out of Egypt and across the dry ground of the Red Sea as God worked a miracle to roll those waters back. So as we note these two conversions in Acts 16, Lydia's and the jailers, and their baptisms, the point is clear that Lydia and the jailer and their families experienced an identification, a visual demonstration of their newfound faith in Jesus. It's significant to me that every instance of an individual who trusted Jesus as Savior is followed with baptism in the New Testament. Every instance. They identified themselves publicly as followers of Christ. So that's the teaching on this important topic in the Bible. 23 or possibly 24 of the New Testament references to baptism have to do with being baptized in water as a way to identify oneself as a Christian. So let's add to that as we talk a little bit more now about the significance of baptism. That's the teaching, and again, that's an overview. But let's talk about the significance. The most significant teaching in the Bible about water baptism is that it is a command from the Lord. Nail that down in your thinking. It's a command from the Lord. When the Savior prepared to go back to heaven following His resurrection from the dead, He met with His disciples, and just before He ascended to glory, He said to them in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then he promised, Lo, I am with you always. That promise is for us today too. But so is the command. Go. Teach. Win people to Christ. Baptize them. 
I'd say that's a pretty significant command, wouldn't you? Jesus Himself told His followers to teach truth to other people all over the world, to put them in connection with Jesus, to point them to Him, to encourage them by faith to become Jesus' disciples, and the command included baptizing those new converts and teaching them the commands of Jesus, all of them. And this is one of those commands. So we see a new person come to Jesus Christ. We, we, uh, God commands them to be baptized. Then they in turn can share their faith with someone else and tell them, you need to be baptized in obedience to that command. That's a significant response to our questioner. How does baptism, the idea of baptism, fit into the Christian life? The answer is pretty clear. The fit is perfect. The fit is we're following a command of Jesus. I am obeying the command to identify myself as a disciple of Jesus. And I'm obeying the command to tell others about Jesus and see them get baptized as well. An equally good question at this point would be this. Why wouldn't every Christian, every follower of Jesus, want to identify themselves as such? You realize, I hope, that throughout church history and right up to today, this very day in 2015, there have been and are people all over the world in countries where it's not legal to worship openly, who are worshiping Jesus underground, but they are taking that open public step of baptism. And many of them, praise God for their confidence and courage, many of them are being executed for their faith in Jesus Christ evidenced by their baptism, their public testimony, I am a follower of Jesus. They've been baptized by the Spirit. They have the Spirit living in them by faith. And they believe, and we ought to believe, that God and His grace deserve a public declaration of faith. Amen? A public declaration of faith. You know, a wedding ceremony is a public declaration, really, isn't it? It's a declaration that something has changed dramatically in my life. I'm no more self-focused. I'm my wife-focused, Gloria-focused, your wife, your husband. And we get married publicly because we're saying before others as we vow to love each other for the rest of our lives, this person is special to me. God gave this person to me. I'm committing myself to this person. I'm identifying myself as a lifetime partner with this man or this woman whom I've married. It's a public declaration. I read about a preacher who asked, uh, whose wife asked him how the wedding had gone that he just finished. He said, well, it was going great until I got to the part where I asked the bride if she was willing to obey her husband. She said, do you think I'm nuts? And the groom said, I do. And it all went downhill from there. (laughs) Saying, I do, is a big thing in a wedding ceremony.
saying yes to the command of Jesus to be baptized publicly as a testimony of my faith in Jesus Christ is a big thing. It's also a big thing because it pictures something very important. The third part of your outline, a picture. One key reason that baptism is so significant in the life and testimony of a believer is because it's a picture of what Jesus did for us in His completed work on the cross of Calvary. It's a picture of His death, burial, and resurrection. When a person is baptized in a lake or a river or a pond or a swimming pool or a horse trough, when they go under that water, they're illustrating the death of Jesus, the burial of Christ. When they come out of the water, they're illustrating new life, resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. I'm convinced that we need to demonstrate that with this public confession of faith called baptism. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Now, in that particular passage, I'm convinced that the broad subject contextually is spirit baptism. But the picture is the same. The picture is that of death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and our death to self, the end of that old life and a resurrection to the new. The International Commentary in its volume on the book of Romans says, and I quote, that plunge beneath the waters was like a death. The moment's pause while they swept overhead was like a burial. The standing erect once more in the air and sunlight was a species of resurrection. It's a good way to describe it. It's a beautiful picture. It seems clear if we're to teach this to people all over the world and make disciples of people in every nation that this is not meant to be a difficult teaching. It's not meant to be difficult to put into words and God has helped us with the explanation through a picture of death, burial, and resurrection of His own death, burial, and resurrection as we're put under the water we illustrate the death of Jesus and dying to self and sin because of Him as we come up out of the water we picture His triumphant resurrection and through Him our resurrection to new life and to heaven someday So by being baptized, we not only identify ourselves as a follower of Jesus publicly, but we give this picture of what Jesus did for us in His complete work of redemption. We sang about redemption earlier this morning. It's a beautiful theme. That seems really clear and basic, doesn't it? At least I hope it's clear and basic. And yet, there's a lot of confusion about baptism out there. Let's talk about that for a moment. There are major differences as to what some cults teach about baptism, but also some widely different views within Christian circles. Some of the confusion is about how baptism should be done. Some churches sprinkle water on the head of the participant, the new believer. 
while others pour water on them while they stand in a shallow pool. Those particular practices, from what I understand, are meant to illustrate a cleansing of the soul that occurs at salvation. Some baptize as we do by immersion, dunking the person under the water. And we do that because I think is the best illustration among several of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I just want you to know I am not personally uh, convinced that there's one particular way that a person has to be baptized, but I believe that baptism by immersion is the best picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some who practice immersion baptize the person, dunk the person three times. I hope they get time in between to catch their breath. But they do that to illustrate Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't argue with that. I just We just don't do it that way. But there's also confusion about who should be baptized. In some circles, the baptism of infants is done, or very small children. I want you to know on the authority of God's Word, not my say-so, that there's no indication in the Bible that a baby was ever baptized, or even a very small child. Only those who were old enough to truly assess that they needed a Savior and they trusted Jesus as their Savior, only those were baptized. But the greatest and most serious confusion has to do with the why of baptism. Specifically, does it have anything to do with my salvation? And I want to go on record this morning as stating as clearly as I possibly can state it that baptism is not a requirement for salvation. The Bible is very clear. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, including some act like baptism. It, salvation, is a gift of God. Not by works, like baptism, lest any man should boast. Because someone could say, well, I've been baptized 300 times. I've had people dunk me 300 times. So I'm better than you. No. If you know Jesus is Savior, we're both saved Christians. You're not better. So, baptism does not save anyone. You want some proof of that? Go with me to the cross in your thinking. You remember that picture on the hillside? Jesus crucified in between two convicts. One of those convicts mocked Jesus to the very end. But the other one said to Jesus with a repentant, humble spirit, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And here's what Jesus said to him in Luke 23, verse 43. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. They both died that day. But that man, by the grace of God, was allowed to be with Jesus in heaven. It was his prayer of faith. And it was the blood and grace of Jesus Christ that saved him, not baptism. He didn't get baptized. He didn't have the opportunity or the occasion to be taken down off the cross, baptized in some water, and put back on the cross. didn't happen that way. It was His prayer of faith and the blood and grace of Jesus. You need more proof that baptism doesn't save? 
Listen to the Apostle Paul explain his call to preach the gospel, the good news, to the Corinthians. Here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 1, 13-17. They had been arguing in the church. Well, I follow Paul. Somebody said, yeah, but I follow Apollos. And then the really spiritual people were saying, well, I follow Jesus. Aren't I special? And Paul says this, Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God, he says, that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none could say that you were baptized in my name. Now, I did also baptize the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. And here's why. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So baptism isn't part of the gospel. Otherwise, Paul would have preached it. Paul would have said, you've got to get baptized to be saved. But he never said that. He said it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So I hope it's clear, baptism, while it is vitally important as an act of obedience and as a testimony to others around us, I am a Christian. I'm committed to this thing. It doesn't bring about salvation or add to our salvation. Let's think about responding to this simple, yet in my view, very profound command. Like that thief on the cross, next to Jesus, anyone can and should put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus and His shed blood for the forgiveness of their sins and receive the gift of eternal life. That's the starting point for baptism. But also, like Lydia and the Philippian jailer, any Christian can and should publicly identify with Jesus through baptism. It's a command, but it's also a privilege to honor God by standing up for Him in this way and going under the water and back out to picture Christ's complete work on our behalf and His grace-transforming, life-changing power. Why wouldn't somebody respond to that clear command to be baptized? Well, I could think of several reasons. First, they may not have understood it. They simply may not have understood it. They may have been confused about it, as so many are. They may, for example, have thought that since they were christened or baptized when they were babies in a particular religious group, that that counted. Well, I hope you understand that that reason, I, I just don't understand it, is gone today. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. No, that's a good thing. That reason is gone now. Now you do understand that baptism is an identification of myself as a follower of Jesus before others. Some people think, well, I don't know if I really need to be rebaptized. Well, leave the R-E off, okay? It's not a rebaptism anyway. It's a baptism. What you experienced as a baby or as a small child doesn't count unless you were old enough to truly understand the gospel, the good news, and give your heart to Jesus. Tiny babies can't do that. So they weren't baptized to begin with. We don't need a re-baptism. We need a baptism. Another reason some people may not get baptized is because they don't care. 
They don't care that it's a command from Jesus Himself. That's hard to imagine for me that a person who professes to be a believer would respond that way. But especially for somebody who's been a Christian for a long time, that is a possibility. And I've talked to Christians who felt that way. Well, I I don't need it. I read a true story this week about a businessman who started a good-natured conversation with a young man who squeezed into the seat next to him on an airplane. The businessman said to him, Are you on business or pleasure? The young man said, Pleasure. I just got married. We're on our honeymoon. Your honeymoon? The businessman asked, Where's your wife? Oh, she's a few rows back. The plane was full, so we couldn't get a seat together. Well, the plane hadn't started yet, so the businessman said, Well, I'm more than willing to give up my seat and let the two of you sit together. That's okay, the young man replied. I've been with her all week. We've all heard that expression, familiarity breeds contempt. Oh, I hope that would not be true of someone claiming to be a Christian. This act of identification as a believer in Jesus Christ needs to be on our to-do list. Notice I didn't say our bucket list. This isn't like, oh, I, before I die, I've, I've got to go deep sea fishing and catch a big marlin. Or, I've got to be on the amazing race before I die. It's not that. It's got to be on our to-do list. Jesus wants me to be baptized. He wants me to testify of Him publicly to let others in my church family, my human family, my community know I am a Christian. I love Jesus. And I want to obey Him. Think just for a moment as we draw this message to a close about Jesus being baptized by John in the Jordan. Listen again to Matthew three thirteen through 17 You can turn there if you'd like. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee to the Jordan and coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Think with me through a couple of important things. First of all, first of all, this was an important beginning point for Jesus to identify himself with sinful man through baptism. It was on his to-do list. This passage specifically says that he came there to be baptized by him, meaning John. Second, the him is John, John the baptizer. And what I want you to notice is that Jesus humbled himself to be baptized by a mere human being. A man who was born a sinner, just like you and me. But a man who loved God with all his heart. Jesus, the sinless, perfect Son of God, was baptized by a sinful man. So that means Jesus wasn't baptized to take away his sins. He didn't have any. He wasn't baptized to be saved. He's the giver of salvation. 
He doesn't need to be saved. Third, this began Jesus' public ministry, which in turn led to a, if you will, a baptism by fire, where Jesus went through some really rough and tough things along with His disciples. And finally, this baptism in water brought about God's affirmation of His Son. Those words were powerful. Right from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Obedience in baptism, identifying myself publicly as a follower of Jesus, is pleasing to God. Please know that. It pleases God. Now as we wrap this up, and hopefully we've answered those lead questions about this idea of baptism and what part it plays in our Christian lives, I want to go back in our thinking to Acts 16 and specifically to this woman named Lydia because her career illustrates the meaning of baptism. She was in the business of selling fabric, purple fabric. All along through the message, many times over, I've been telling you that baptism means identification. I've used that word many times. The word literally translated that baptize or baptism literally means to dip. And it comes from an ancient industry. We still have it in a different form today. We call them dry cleaners. But an ancient industry called fullers. And well-to-do people would take their wool and other material to a fuller and have them dye it different colors. Wealthy people wore various colors, some very bright colors. Poor people usually had their off-white wool right off of the sheep. Lydia, as you recall, was a seller of purple. That material had to be dyed, D-Y-E-D, in order to be identified as now purple, not off-white. I want to do something for you this morning as a way of illustration that I hope will make the point. And I've asked Gracie Ehrenholt to help, and Gloria's going to help her a little bit. I asked her to help for a couple of reasons. One, because she has hands small enough to fit in my rubber gloves there. But even more important than that, because she was the first one to sign up. You'll see her name on the list here. First one to sign up to get baptized. Gracie recently trusted the Lord Jesus as her Savior at a summer Bible camp in Utah. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? And now she wants to be baptized. So she's here to help me. Um, She has a handkerchief of mine, slightly off-white. And she's going to dip it in this really odd substance. It's actually beet juice. She's going to put the whole thing in there. All right, as she takes it out, so she's just baptized it. That means dipped it. Now she's going to take it out. Guess what? It's not off-white anymore. It's purple. Her name isn't Lydia, but it's purple. That's baptism. That cloth is now identified as a purple handkerchief, not a white one. Thank you, Gracie and Gloria. Appreciate that. And here's my point. As simple as that was to dip that in that beet juice and change its color and identify it now as purple, 
in a spiritual context is just that simple. To trust Jesus as your Savior, give your heart to Him, receive His gift of eternal life, and just that simple. To step into some water and have another brother in the Lord dunk you in the water and baptize you and identify you by your own desire as a follower of Jesus Christ. I praise God that we have some new believers in our church. Young men like John and Jacob and others who've recently trusted Jesus and they've both been sharing their faith. Praise God. I'm excited about that. God's given them opportunities to tell others what He's done for them and what He can do for them as well. And I thank God for each one of you who share your faith. But if you've never been baptized before, you know Jesus is Savior, but you've never been baptized before, I challenge you today, follow Christ's command. Get baptized. As a public testimony, a public demonstration of your faith. I'm looking forward to a a time here just next month when we can have a baptism of many people. Many people. So I want to ask you to do something very specific this morning. In just a moment, we're going to sing a closing song called I Surrender All. And I'm asking you this morning, if God has been speaking to your heart through the Holy Spirit and through His Word, to do just that, to surrender to this command to be baptized, to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ in a public way. So what I'm going to ask you to do is, while we're singing in just a a moment, I invite you to come up and sign your name under Gracie's. And we'll uh, then be... Uh, closing the service and praying for you. And what I want to do, i got to run this by uh, our elders yet, but uh, I'm thinking maybe August 23rd, which is a Sunday, having a baptism service right after the morning service. We'll go out to the reservoirs we've often done and have a baptism service out there together. We'll sing a little bit. We'll hear their testimonies. And we'll baptize them so that they can identify themselves as believers in Jesus Christ, new or old. So that's my invitation this morning. Would you stand with me as we sing, and then if God's been speaking to your heart this morning, and you realize, I need to get baptized, I invite you to come up and sign your name. And we'll include you in that baptism service. Sing with me. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender come if that's you this morning I surrender all all to thee my blessed Savior I surrender all some wonderful words in this last verse all 
to Jesus I surrender, Lord, I give myself to And power, let thy blessing fall on me. Please come if that's you. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Sing it again. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. I surrender all. I want to give you one more opportunity to come this morning, if that's you. Thank you, John. Come and sign your name. Let us know that you are ready. You, you, you may think to yourself, you know, I have, I've been a Christian a long time. This would be embarrassing. <laughs> no, God says to you, just like He did of His Son Jesus, I am well pleased when you do this. Well pleased. Please come. I want to include as many people as we can in that baptism service coming up. It could be an awesome testimony to identify publicly in that way. Thank you, girls. Anyone else? Still waiting. I don't want to leave you out. I don't want you to miss out on the blessing. Pray with me. Father, you see this list of names. You saw them write it down. You know who they are. You know where they stand with you. I thank you for their diligence, their humility, their willingness to make a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ through baptism. God, it's going to be a great service that day. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.